Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by Momentus. Momentus. So what we want to talk about today is what we do as our post-workout strategy. Well, and sort of a larger conversation about how do we use the protein sort of supplementation. So first of all, I have a like number one organizing principle in my life. It's not the 800 gram challenge, which is good, but it's actually getting enough grams of protein a day. I really struggled to do that. And what I found is that if I supplement with a shake, it's easier for me to augment my protein grams with a little bit of a boost. I also learned years ago from our friend Stacy Sims that women in particular need to eat protein within 30 minutes of exercise. So I've been religiously having a scoop of protein and a little bit of creatine within 30 minutes of exercise. And it turns out, she points out that it's even less about making sure you have all the aminos on hand, but that protein scoop can actually help you rehydrate more effectively. Is that important for us? Well, only if you want to turn on all of the repair signaling, which is actually limited by hydration. So it turns out, wait for it, a little bit of protein in your water means that you can hydrate more effectively and get that recovery system turned back on. It's also notable that a lot of people don't handle the whey very well. And we have great grass-fed whey, which is often easier on people's stomach than just sort of the bulk processed whey. But there is another choice, and that is our the incredible plant-based protein, which is pea and rice. And it should be noted that we have massively high levels of leucine, which is the key amino acid in all proteins. To check it out, go to thereadystate.com slash momentous and use code TRS for 20% off your first purchase. This episode of The Ready State is brought to you by Virtual Mobility Coach. This may sound crazy, but last year, I kind of tried to clone my husband. Awesome. Only kind of, though. You see, Kelly gets dozens of requests every day for help. And even though he wants to give everyone his personal attention, there just aren't enough hours in the day. So I typed in how to clone a human being into Google. Just kidding. But in seriousness, what we did do was create our virtual mobility coach platform. It's like having a virtual Kelly Star ad in your pocket. Which obviously everyone needs. I mean, that's right. I personally create over 600 mobility protocols for the virtual mobility coach. So the platform can help you with almost any movement problem imaginable. For example, let's say you're in pain. The VMC will show you a diagram of the human body. All you have to do is click where it hurts. And from there, we'll serve you up a customized pain prescription we call Mobility RX. The virtual mobility coach can also help you warm up and cool down when you exercise. Every day, we provide fresh pre- and post-workout mobilizations for more than four dozen sports and movements. Plus, on your days off, we even have a video called Daily Maintenance to help you relax and recover so you can get back 100% in record time. And best of all, right now, you can try Virtual Mobility Coach free for two whole weeks. So you can check out everything it has to offer without paying a penny. Claim your free 14-day trial of Virtual Mobility Coach now. Go to thereadystate.com slash free trial. That's thereadystate.com slash free trial. And we'll see you inside. I'm really excited to introduce Jonathan Lee. He is a cyclist coach and the host of the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. You know, I was on that podcast. Jonathan is one of the deepest, most thoughtful cycling coach nerds on the planet. We were at Strava World Headquarters, and that is honestly where I fell in love with Jonathan Lee. Well, and they're also doing this super cool thing at Trainer Road where they're using AI to make cyclists faster. Yeah. This is a wide-ranging conversation. It can be a little bit technical, because you know, Jonathan is so adept and comfortable in this. But hang in there because there's some great pearls about how you can use 
all of these millions of data points from Trainer Road to improve your athletic performance. Please enjoy this podcast. Jonathan, welcome to the Ready State Podcast. Happy to be here, y'all. So I do this a lot because oftentimes our guests have somehow met Kelly and not me, which is a sign that his life is way better than my life. But anyway, I just want to start. I just want to start by asking both of you, how did you first come to find each other? And I know Kelly has been on your podcast and had a fabulous time. So what's the connection? How did you guys connect? Mm. Well, I actually, so I knew of Kelly before Kelly knew of me, I think, because I was dealing with, so my whole life growing up, I was motocross racer, ski racer, doing that sort of stuff. And then took kind of a long time off of athletics in general. I was doing some rock climbing and stuff in college because it was super cheap, right? And dirt bikes were way too expensive. And I stepped away from all that. But then when I got into cycling, just like constant, like overuse injuries, everything else. So becoming a supple leopard suddenly became my handbook. Like it was like everything, like I just used that thing all the time. And then, yeah, I guess years later things develop. And then we were doing a, we had an opportunity to do a live podcast at Strava HQ. And I was like, I've always wanted to do one with Kelly. It'd be amazing. He's from that area too. And then I talked to Strava and I was like, Hey, is it okay if we do a podcast with Kelly? And they were like, we would love that because we were doing it there in front of employees, right? Kelly. So, so it wasn't just for the internet audience, but also an in-person audience. So I, that's how we met in person. But man, I've, I've used Kelly, I've used your prescriptions and everything else for years, your programming. Didn't I will say he came back from that. Like he was like, that was fun. Like he really had a great time. Like that was, you know, he does a lot of podcasts and I'm not going to throw shade on any of them, but like <laughs> he was especially effusive about coming back from that. He had such a ball. It was fun. You are such a pro. Did we run into each other at Specialized in the wind tunnel? You're right. We did. We did. That's correct. Which by the way, that feels like a name drop thing to say that we just serendipitously ran into each other at a wind tunnel <laughs> yeah, yeah, and specialized. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Remember that, that time when we were in the wind tunnel? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, 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 right. specialized. <laughs> that's where we met. I think that's the first time we were like, oh. And um, I have a bunch of friends who are hardcore trainer road believers. So real quick, the audience has garnered that you and I have known each other. You're a cyclist and a skier and an athlete. And something about Trainer Road and biking. Can you tell us what you're currently doing and explain to the people at home what Trainer Road is? Yeah, absolutely. So the best way that I say it these days to make it nice and simple is we use AI to make cyclists faster. So what we do is we, our system builds up training plans that are fully customized for you and your goals. And then you either execute it on the app or you go outside and you do workouts on your Garmin head unit, on your bike or Wahoo head unit, whatever it is. And then our system analyzes what you did. It looks at you and all of your training history, everything else. And then it says, okay, based on that, here's the next workout they should have. So it always gives you the right workout at the right time. So we make cyclists faster through training. And the cool part is we use AI to do that. And it's just super exciting. It's a relatively recent release for us to have the AI part out. Uh, we've stepped our way into this with first just having an indoor training interface. And then after that, it was having training plans. And then after the training plans, it was building in outside training and all this stuff. But in the background, the whole time, we've been working on this bigger fish to fry, which is how do we find the best way to make a cyclist faster? And that's such an individual question rather than like, well, this methodology is best. So that's what we do athletes all around the world, they subscribe to Trainer Road. And then as a result, they get the training they need to meet their goals. So this makes me think because I know, A, I am a bit aggro as an <laughs> athletic person. And I know a lot of cyclists are aggro. Mm. Um, and and let me tweakers. give you the backstory. I, I have worn a whoop a lot before. Mm. And 
literally at no time when it when I've been in the red did I then not exercise, <laughs> even though that's what it was telling me to do. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, you know, if you do this awesome AI thing and then it tells some agro cyclist like, hey, today you actually might need to just ride slowlier for less mm-hmm. long. Do you find that that's a challenge for people who are used to just like pushing. Because I do think it's so important and I know I'm horrible at it and I think we all just have this mentality of like pedal to metal, more is better, right? Mm. And actually have a, like the custom program makes so much sense to me, but are people able to sort of like turn it, you know, turn off their agroness and actually say, okay, I know this is the right thing for me to do. I'm actually going to do it. Hashtag asking for a friend. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. For all of us, right? Yeah. Well, I think the best way to answer that is to say the most successful athletes do respect that. The ones that tend to plateau or they tend to really, you know, crash and burn from a peaking or periodization, just physical condition perspective. They're the ones that don't respect that. And it's funny because we always really focus on like, what's the key workout? Or what's this, the the interval structure that's really going to work when really the emphasis should be on making sure we just aren't doing too much. For the majority of athletes listening to this, whether you are a cyclist or whether you are into CrossFit or whether you are in any sort of, you're probably a type A athlete and you really want to do more, you're okay with sacrifice and hard work and, and suffering in the name of achieving a goal. And it's really tricky for us to reconcile the fact that, well, it's not just about effort. Sometimes it's also about just making sure that we are disciplined and following the right thing. So it's kind of funny. We, we released prior to releasing adaptive training, which is what we call our AI based training. We released something called train now, which was like this feature that allows people to just drop in and they don't need a training plan, but they can just get a well calibrated workout to them. So it's almost like with CrossFit, you drop into a, you know, you drop into a box and you've got water of the day and you can jump right in, you make adjustments. So then it's set up for you. But with training, that's kind of tricky because many times our eyes are bigger than our stomach and we end up picking the wrong workout and we work out too hard. We fail the workout. Then we feel bad about ourselves. And it's this cycle that just keeps going. So we released this thing called train. Now what it was actually doing secretly is it was analyzing everybody's training, even when they're riding outside, not doing structured workouts. And then it was saying today, you should do this workout today. You should do this workout. I wasn't trying to make him like achieve any goal. But it was funny because in the beginning, a lot of people were like, why is it just telling me that I should be doing an endurance ride? And like all the time, it tells me I should do an endurance ride. And it's like, well, you paced Strava KOMs for three hours yesterday. So, you know, that's why you should do an endurance ride today. So it's, it, you're totally right. It's hard. And I think that the key with that is finding a way that you can educate athletes along the way. Yes. So then they can understand that like this day should be sacred. This day is a rest day or this day is not supposed to be a day where we're moving the needle. It's just getting in the low intensity work, whatever it is. That's a challenge that we face on the marketing side. I have to say, I mean, we talked a little bit about this beforehand, but having the electric bike has been such a revelation for me in terms of not always doing all my workouts with my heart rate at 185. (laughs) Because, you know, where we live and where you live, right, all the, like, no matter what we do, we have to bike straight uphill. You know, there's no, like, flat. I mean, I guess road, we could do some more flat road rides, but we mountain bike, there's no like flat or light climbing around here. It's like you're basically biking straight uphill. And that's actually having the electric bike has been such a revelation because there's some days where I'm like, actually, I don't feel like redlining for two hours straight, but I know I want to get out and I want to be outside and I want to be on my bike and like, you know, I want to do some zone two work if that's even a thing. And so I get on my electric bike and I'm like doing the exact same rides. Wait, did you just say is zone two really a thing? 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it just seems so like fancy. I was about to divorce you. That's just so, sounds so fancy. Anyway, so I, let, anyway, let, I, I, wanna, I wanna tie this in because you hit on something really important. I think a lot of cyclists, it's easy to collect a lot of data mm-hmm. on the bike. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of data points and trying to interpret that for your, how you're feeling for the day besides saying red, green, yellow. I mean, we we always are encouraging our athletes to come up with a subjective ex- score. Like, how do you feel today? How's your desire to train, et cetera, which turns out to be pretty good. But you, it's still difficult to know what to do with that. Have you guys found that the use of the AI helps people interpret their own objective scores and measurements so they can begin to sort of guess along with? Because the AI is really good, and has, I don't think people understand how many millions of data points it's drawing from. Oh, yeah. and the big brain behind it. But are you finding that people are getting better at knowing themselves and saying, hey, I should do some short repeats or I need to go long blocks or something like that? Yeah, there's kind of like a recalibration process that was happening en masse when this was released. A lot of athletes were concerned at first. They were like, hey, I don't, I don't think this is working me hard enough. Like, <laughs> like I typically train way harder than this and I'm really worried because I have a race coming up and I, it's in three months and I feel like I haven't worked hard enough. And We've been then asking them and our support staff is awesome. Like, by the way, I think we might have the fastest support staff in the world. Uh, Kent Main, one of them just won the tour of the stage of, or in tour of Rwanda. He just won a stage. We have athletes racing Cape Epic next week and they're all our support staff. Uh, we have an office there in South Africa too, with just a ton of really fast athletes. It's cool, but they'll take the time to talk to them and to run through and say, well, looking at your training, actually, you've been knocking it out of the park. And what we're hearing now that racing is starting to happen this season, whether it's Southern Hemisphere and they're toward the end of the season or whether it's Northern Hemisphere and they're just getting into it, the amount of praise coming from athletes for this like for this system, which really they should just be praising themselves for being measured, right? And for trusting something that's really going about this. It's amazing. It's like, like the athlete experience is just through the roof. But it comes down to what you said, Kelly. It's that athletes are recalibrating what training should feel like. It shouldn't just destroy you every day. Instead, it should be productively accomplishing a goal. And and some days that won't feel hard. Some days it might feel hard. It really just depends. I feel like we just came out of the Olympics. It's so interesting. I think every, especially a winter Olympic cycle, we see a lot of speed skating volume training. We see a lot of Mm. cross-country skiing. And universally, every four years, everyone shows up. I think Alan Cousins is writing this on Twitter that, wow, some of our best aerobic athletes in the world are doing a thousand hours of <laughs> low-level lactate clearance training, which is what we're coming to understand is what's happening in zone one, zone two. It's not even that you're getting better at fuel adaptation, it's that you're getting better at clearing lactate. Yep. And that they're doing a thousand hours at under three millimoles or one millimole, like they're just cruisy. Mm-hmm. And that's a thousand hours of training that people aren't doing. Yeah, and that the, And so subsequently we're finding that either people aren't, going hard when they need to go hard or they think they're going hard and they're not going easy when they need to go easy. Everything is like sea, you know, beige. Yes. You know, and it's not, you know, hot or cold. Yeah. Is that your guys' experience too? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So that's like, uh, I'm thinking of Nils Vanderpool. He was the, not mm. Matthew, but Nils, uh, the speed skater, yeah, yeah. very famous. I just tried to do one of his workouts and I was able to get 30 minutes at 400 watts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. His numbers not, are not four like, by 30. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his numbers are big. It'd be nice if you could just equate it to speed then do it on the Levo. That might be a bit easier, but. <laughs> so that's a really interesting approach. And that's typically been described as like the polarized training approach where you have a huge amount of low intensity work where you are basically sitting at like your ventilatory thresholds, like you're at VT1 or below. And then 
when athletes then after that, they do a small amount of high intensity. And in some cases people reference like an 80, 20 prescription rule. And there's a big lack of clarity on this. People are like it's 80% yeah. low intensity and 20% low intensity. When you add up all the time and zone, then other people say, well, it's 80% intention. Like 80% of your days are prescribed to intentionally be in low intensity. And then 20% are prescribed to be, and it's not about time and zone. And then there's this whole debate about, well, is there any time in the middle of that that's good or should you completely polish <laughs> right, right. it? I'm on fire or I'm cold. Exactly. And really the interesting thing is what is that trying to get us to do? And because we've looked at a huge amount of data with that and it's funny. So if you consider like 5.5 watts per kilogram, like roughly pro level fitness, I know that we have athletes like Nairo Quintana and everything else that are able to do like six watts per kilo or a little more for substantial periods of time, like 40 minutes in a race, which is just amazing. But a lot of pros are 5.5 watts per kilogram is like, yeah, I am this tall to ride this ride. I can be with the top. And we have a huge amount of athletes that are at that level. And we analyze a lot of their training and they aren't 80, 20 at all. Like they do way more low intensity than average people and then slow people. That's how it works. They do more high intensity than them just because they have more training volume. Right. And as like the volume goes up, you kind of have to polarize it a bit. But you have to step back and once again, ask the goal, like, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to make sure that we aren't working too hard too often, but we're still trying to make sure that you're an aerobically adapted athlete, right? So that's really the goal. And the interesting thing is now, how do you take all that information that we have and the anecdote that we have from professional athletes of how they train? How do you do that on a crunch time scale? That's right. With all of us probably listening to this that may not have 20 to 40 hours a week to be able to just go out and train and instead we have other responsibilities. So for us, maybe 10 hours is really pushing the limit. Maybe we have three hours and five hours. So it's interesting to look at, and that's really what we've been trying to use data to solve because it's tricky. You can go the clinical study approach, but Kelly and Julie, you might respond totally differently to different, to the same. Will exact, respond. Yeah. Middle-aged 49-year-old guy. Right. Yeah. To the same exact training intervention, right? Prescribe the same thing and you'll see different results. And then, so the easy answer for that is like, okay, so increase the sample size, get more people into a study. And then you can figure out across a broader group, maybe you can see common trends, but then the difficulty with prescribing training interventions and then analyzing improvement from that is so many variables affect right. how we actually absorb training and how we respond to it and how we adapt. So then you've got hundreds or thousands of people to try to get rid of the individual variants, but then you've got to control all those variables. It's just impossible. So we, there's that approach. Then there's the experience led coaching theories, which all of us have, but it's always good to check our biases and to think about things objectively. So it's been really interesting just to look at over 150 million rides from athletes in 150 countries around the world from one watt per kilogram, all the way up to six and seven watts per kilogram and to see what they're doing. And then to figure out commonalities and to figure out how people should train to get faster. It's kind of an interesting approach, but to go back to it, a big goal with this is to make sure that we are not working athletes too hard, we're working them just right. So then they can ride a steady improvement rate toward whatever their goal is. Amazing. Yeah. So question for you, because you sort of sparked this in something you said earlier, but can someone who say is like me, and maybe does two rides a week. We're calling this asking for a friend. Asking for a friend again. Good segment. Yeah. This is my. You do you do two on bike rides a week. On bike, I do a lot of CrossFit workouts, and sometimes I do some indoor riding or whatever. But like, could someone like me come on and say, okay, I'm doing two on my bike rides a week. What should I be doing for those rides? And is there, or is it really 
would I need to be doing like much more actually on the bike time to really see what the AI can actually do for someone like me? Because like, again, there would be so many variables. You, you're, how would you guys know that I'm doing three CrossFit workouts and never sleeping or whatever all these other lifestyle variables are that, of course, Trainer Road cannot control. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and in the future, you know, we want to bring in as much data as possible. But like you said, Kelly, it's easy to bring in too much data and get confused. Now we feel like we kind of actually have a constant, so to speak, to be able to bring in variables and compare and contrast to see what variables, like if it's HRV or if it's resting heart rate, or if it's just time in your deep cycle of sleep, or if it's steps taken the previous day to figure out all these things. And then now we kind of have like a yardstick so that we can actually measure those things and figure out how they affect. So in the future, we want to be able to do that and it will only improve it. And that's what we're working on. But to answer your question directly, no, you don't have to do a ton of training. The more data you have, the better informed it is and the better decisions it can make for you, right? But right now we're approaching the problem from a few different ways of, okay, well, a person just wants to be able to get into workouts a week. Like that's what they have time for and that's what they want to do. Right now, like a great way for athletes to do that is with that train now thing, like I said, where you just drop in and you get a workout. But we want to find ways to optimize it even further for that. But right now it's possible and it's actually really common. I think that we feel like if a person is a quote cyclist, that they need to train a ton. But we see athletes that do two to three workouts a week that accomplish incredible things, like super, super impressive things just because they're diligent about hitting their marks and diligent about so much off the bike as well. So it's all possible. So I know you guys have so much more work to do and it's endless. Like it's endless what you guys could do with what you're doing. In fact, it sort of makes me feel tired at some point. I'm like, oh my God, they have so much work to do. There's like so much to do. Do you think you will ever try to expand this into like running or swimming or other yeah. recreational or professional sports? Because I mean, I do feel like this has to be, what you're doing has to be the way that training is going. Like this has to be the future. Yeah. You guys are at the sort of tip of the spear. Mm -hmm. This Big has data, to be individual. Yeah. Like this has to be where all sports are going, but I appreciate that you guys are at the tip of the spear and yeah. it would be a lot of work to add entirely different sports. That is super appealing because like the thought is like, what can we do? Cause, uh, running for example, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but I'm dipping my toe metaphorically into, uh, into multi-sport stuff. And running is compared to cycling, like pretty antiquated in terms of training prescription. Like it's not very detailed. You know, you have like even hard, like, to, measure, hard to measure wattage. Yeah. Right. It's hard to measure power. And then that holds it back in a lot of ways. But even then outside of it, it's kind of like, well, there's, you know, a few workout structures and we just kind of stick to that. And that's just what we do. And there's a lot of room to improve training in running in swimming in even in weightlifting. There's a huge amount in functional movements. When you're talking about like CrossFit and everything else, there's a lot that you could do that could help that. It's like a super exciting world. I think that on one side, you want really good data. And I think that that's part of what makes adaptive training so good for us is because we have power data and that's an objective measurement of work rather than heart rate data, which is just a subjective measurement of effort or really an objective measurement because it's measuring your heartbeat. But in terms of how it relates to the work you're doing, it represents the effort rather than the work, right? So it's Yes, power data would be fantastic. But at the same time, because we've been doing so much work on the back end here with using machine learning and AI to be able to train this, we may be able to make some hop, skip and jump, so to speak, logic where we can say, well, if this person does this, that means that they can then do this even in a different sport. So it's really exciting. And yeah, 
eventually running, swimming, all that stuff. This is going to be how people train because the human mind's finite. Like we can't comprehend every possible alternative for every athlete and understand how they're going to respond. We are incredible accountability partners, advisors, supporters, everything else. And that part, I don't know how tech will ever replace that. I've seen it in the movies and it doesn't seem very convincing. <laughs> but in terms of the understanding how your body's performing and what you should do next, yeah, I think that that's not just for cycling. That's across the board. Yeah, it's the future, I think. Yeah. So you mentioned this a little bit, but it sounds like you are transitioning from just cycling and doing other things and that maybe that has presented some physical challenges for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then now I'm asking for a friend on your behalf. Yes. So Kelly can then respond yeah. asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, so my wife and I, we have a five-year-old son. He's amazing. It's so much fun. And uh, we didn't think that we were going to be able to have another kid. Uh, we've been hoping and praying and we have another one coming in August. Having Woo, congratulations. Yeah, super exciting. Little girl. So we can't wait. Now that... I have been through that once, like men in black penned my mind on a lot of this. And that's why I'm not even thinking about the fact of going through the newborn phase and everything else. You can't. Uh, you can't Don't do, do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you just block that out until you have to. Yeah, exactly. One of the things <laughs> I do remember was the fact that like cycling, because for me to move the needle with my fitness and everything else, I need to put in a pretty decent amount of training volume that absolutely makes me prioritize training above other things. So that, you know, when I'm having to, with a busy job and many other responsibilities with my church and with my family and everything else, that's got me, if I have to do 15 hours a week, I'm just up against the stops. And if life intervenes in any way with something unexpected, everything tends to spiral out of control. So with a newborn coming, that's quite a large, you know, thing that I can't control for. And as a result, last time I remember going through that and training and family just felt at odds and that felt terrible to me. And I don't want that to be that way. I get a huge amount of just mental, psychological, and obviously physical benefit from just being active and doing what I love. And I don't want that to feel like it's at odds with spending time with the family. So I wiped all events off my calendar for this year. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to, because over the pandemic, I learned that I didn't need races to enjoy this whole thing. I love training mm. and I love that process. So I'm just going to train. I might do a handful of events or something, but I'm not going to place it at some high priority. So that made me stop and think. I was like, well, why just focus on cycling? Like you've been cycling for so long that you're this weird, like maladapted tool that only works really well in one specific thing. And anytime you have to do some sort of overhead reach, you're worried that your shoulders are going to fall out of socket, right? So um, so I, looking at that, I'm like, man, I, I should just do some multi-sport training and I should we have tons of triathletes that use trainer road and I have been to Kona plenty of times and different Ironmans and Xterras and everything else. And I always just look at those athletes in pure admiration. It's so impressive to see what they can do. So True. yeah. So now I've been uh, dipping my toe into it and oh my gosh, I have been cracking open all of your different resources. Your Instagram is hugely helpful by the way, Kelly, um, as well. So, but because I've been finding so many limitations, it's tough, man. You really just build yourself into a corner when you are filling all your so specialized. Yep. Let's come back around for this. There's something that you just kind of was, was almost a throwaway. Grew up racing mountain bikes, ski racing. We see universally that there is real athleticism in our top athletes that they came out of older sports. I think of Kate Courtney, I think of Levi. Mm -hmm. I can, I mean, uh, Peter Sagan is a phenomenal athlete. He'd probably be a world champion and 
multiple sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, this year he's having a struggle year, struggle plus year, but sure. you know, it's hard to be the best for a hundred yeah. years. <laughs> Seriously. Right. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> and uh, to have the tour de France changes its rules against you, whatever. I don't yeah. mean to be a Sagan here, there, but, um, one of the things that I think is a side effect of having people be able to go such deep nerd, deep dive, mm-hmm. so obsession in a single sport is that it's easy to lose capacity. And you may have been building some of your, you know, your some of your talent came out of that athleticism and you actually can become a really good bike rider and not very athletic very quickly. And mm-hmm. before, oh, Lisa just looked at me like, ooh, <laughs> fight what? on the internet. <laughs> it's true. Where you, you lose your springiness, you lose your hip extension, you lose sort of movement choice. And don't get me wrong, we're seeing the, I think the greatest crop of mountain bikers, mm-hmm. you know, we've ever seen. I think the talent right now of men's road biking, cross-country racing, et cetera, et cetera, is through the roof. Do you think that that is a feature of sort of all of this data and people going so down the well, or is there a reaction to it like you where you're like, oh, hey, I can do these things and become more actually better on the bike and still have a a more durable body? So I think, so this is a controversial opinion, but I think the reason that we're getting such great mountain bikers in particular is because strength training is now expected as a part of a mountain biker's training regime. And cyclocross. Yep. It's not yet to road. And I think that when it happens at road, we're going to see, we'll obviously see changes in their bodies. We won't see these, these athletes that look like, you know, that they haven't carried their own suitcase for 10 years. (laughs) And then I think what we'll also see is the fact that when they tip over in the middle of a Peloton, it's not going to be like broken pelvis, broken collarbone, broken humerus, you know, and all these injuries that come from just simple tip overs as well. We'll see athletes being more durable, but we'll also see them being faster. Like it's something that we always talk about. Always, Vanderpool is a huge athlete. Yeah, and it's just like you mean Matthew. He's tall. He's broad. He's strong. Look at Wout Van Aert. Same thing. Big, tall, strong athlete. You just, you, you just you, you're, you're speaking you, my wife's okay, love language. Okay, like I have. To, I'm in love with two writers, Vanderpool and Wout Van Aert, or however you pronounce his last name. Like I'm obsessed with them and follow them gotcha. on Instagram. They're amazing, and I'm like. Like, I just want to watch them like cyclocross running through mud because I'm like, that's so sick. Pitcock. They just get off their bike and they run. They're incredible. Like, they're so athletic. It's insane. And then they like win the Tour de France. Yeah. Anyway, I'm obsessed with them. So thank you for yeah, look sharing at, my obsession. Look at mountain biking. Like, so look at an athlete like obviously Nino Scherter, Yolanda Neff, Kate Courtney. Like, think of all these top performing mountain bikers that we see and add Matthew Vanderpool to that, everything else, they are not these like frail athletes. So no, I no. think that strength training is huge because what it does, it does a few different things. Obviously, yes, there's direct crossover into helping them with anaerobic efforts. But really when you look at like what makes the difference on race day, it's so rarely an anaerobic effort. And when athletes are even sprinting at the end of a stage, they've probably exhausted all their anaerobic stores anyway. And they're just That's largely right. creating that effort anaerobically or aerobically anyway. I think that what strength training really does for these athletes is it allows them to train more and it allows them to do so with health and and be durable. And I think it's just to throw in here. I think it also restores capacity that gets hidden. If your hip is lacking its ability to extend for your knee to go behind your butt, then you actually are losing power on the front side, even though you, those are sort of antithetical movements because you have half of the range of motion, the hip that's muted or attenuated. And so just by maintaining that, you improve efficiency of the system, mechanical sort of uh, efficiency is the right word. Totally. Do you think that the amazing things that are happening in mountain biking and cyclocross, do you think the road bikers are seeing that? 
and wondering like, huh, maybe we need to start a tradition of strength. Like, is it starting to seep in a little bit or is it still 10 years away? I think it is. And it's kind of funny because so when let's talk about Wout and Matthew, those two athletes that we talked about, Vanderpool and Vanner. And I apologize to everybody. We're probably butchering their names, but I know I feel so bad every time I say them out yeah, loud, we're, but I try. Yeah, we're trying our best. And I'm a huge fan if that helps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those two athletes, when they first started coming into road racing, there were like, there were even like, there were articles about this and this is the general narrative. People were like, well, actually maybe the way to become the fastest road cyclist is just to do all this cyclocross training they're doing you know, they're doing repeats, they're doing float sets with VO2s where you end up going high up into your VO2 range. And then after that, you settle in either at threshold or just below, and you'll repeat that for five minutes and you'll do like 15 seconds on and your 15 seconds off is still relatively on and they'll repeat that, you know, and that's their sets. So maybe that's the way to become a fast road cyclist. And that was the narrative. And it's funny now that they've been on the road so much and they're the dominant riders on the road, really. So since they're dominating over there, and then when they came back to cyclocross this year, they were like, well, maybe all these, the reason they're beating all these cyclocross athletes is because they train like road racers. And it's like, (laughs) it's really funny to see everybody. And they're also, once again, they're falling into the trap of trying to search for that, that specific interval structure or that specific type of training when really these two athletes, first of all, like, let's be clear, they are generational athletes. They have the, the perfect cocktail of just genetics that come through a childhood that was driven toward being the high performers that they are and then all the way through their life and they have the perfect storm. But what really makes, I think these two athletes in particular so good is a part of it, I think has to be strength training. Yeah. The data absolutely matters and it is making cycling way faster because it can be better with training, better with pacing, better with execution. But strength training is something that I feel like we get accused of beating the drum way too much on the podcast that we do. But there is simply is not that you, that's impossible to do. It's like a huge thing that athletes need to spend more and more time doing, especially all of us that are time crunched. When we say, well, I have 10 available hours to train in the week. Maybe we should actually bump that down to seven or six or five and then fill up those other hours with strength, mobility, and other work that actually makes us a more balanced and effective athlete. This is not a paid endorsement of our TRS from Trainer Road, but uh, could you just say that louder for people in the back? You know, it is interesting. We are asked all the time to come in and consult and help people make sense of what their body is doing, given workload history, all of that. And we have come to the same situations. Sometimes we, we Jill and I were like, how strong is Loyal LeCompte? Like, mm-hmm. I think it, it is tricky to deconstruct, but deconstruct a certain person's experience and to say, what can I take from that? But one of the things that is so powerful about what you all do, and and if everyone is not already listening to the Train Road podcast, it is fantastic. It's my favorite cycling podcast. Thank you. For sure. Thank you. And uh, not just because it's you and you know, your hands <laughs> a local, which obviously matters on podcast <laughs> because people are listening. <laughs> one of the things that Juliet and I feel strongly about in our team here at TRS feel strongly about is we're trying to say we need to take the best practices, good practices out of sports performance and try to actually transmute, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Make lead out of wine sort of thing where we're going backwards and being able to apply those principles to the average person so we can transform society. Mm -hmm. So if you have millions of data points on some really good fast athletes and the algorithm is working, could you boil some of those things down to those of us who don't track, who don't like to track? Like what's the average athlete getting wrong? We're seeing more and more people get into biking 
from CrossFit, for example, or strength athletes who traditionally love the gym are like, whoa, I can be a cyclist and this is a wonderful sport. Where are we generally missing real opportunity to improve our performance, even if we weren't tracking based on what you guys are understanding? Yeah, I think I want to address the first natural assumption is that you're just not doing enough. And I want to, I don't want to debunk that because that's actually just, just doing more is typically not the best way to get ahead. The biggest thing above all that we find with athletes is that they just aren't doing enough structure. They aren't being intentional with their time. So, and let's be real, like all of us enjoy all the different sports we do, but I'm partial. I think that riding a bike is also just a really fun thing to do. So you can't just take all the time that you would have riding your bike and just put it into structure and then remove the fun. You can't do that. You have to still find what motivates you and what keeps you riding that bike and why you ride it in the first place. But it's really easy when you have athletes that are like, yeah, I mean, in fact, we've even had some situations where like an athlete will sign up for trainer road and they'll be like, yeah, I've, you know, I followed the plan and I didn't really meet my goal. And in some cases, you know, we don't have like coaches that sit and consult and everything else, but in some cases we'll take like a deeper look into it. And if you look at the athletes, they're like, so they had a plan on the calendar, but they only followed, you know, 10 to 15% of the, of the structured workouts that were on there. And then they fill in the other time with other stuff. And if that's, I mean, like, I know this sounds silly, but it's kind of like filling your batteries to 10 or 15% in your car. And then you drive and you try to get there and you're really upset at your car because it didn't get you hundred percent of the way there, but you only fill it up to 10 to 15, right? Then it's the same kind of concept. Like structure is the way to get, if you have specific things you want to accomplish, you should go about it specifically. Like it's really straightforward. And that's where structured training gets really, really effective is you can say, okay, for me and my goals, it's really important for me to have sustainable power since I'm going to do a time trial or an Ironman or something else. And as a result, I need to be working on raising my threshold, but extending my time at that threshold. That's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take the sort of thing where if you have two workouts a week, or if you have six workouts a week that you're going to do, it's going to mean that you're going to be spending a lot of time at very specific intensities to bring about the changes you want. So it's just, I think that the biggest thing is structure, but there's stuff outside of this and outside of the, what we do at trainer road. And I think that nutrition is just a huge one. Like nobody eats enough on the bike at all. Like it's say that again to people. So they can hear you. <laughs> none of us we're none of us are eating enough. If you look at as particularly if you're a bigger athlete and you have a high threshold as a result, you're just bigger. You have more mass to carry. You have more muscles to be able to create force. And as a result, you have a higher threshold. If you do that, you're burning more calories. Juliet's giving me, she's like, look at you. You're like, if you're bigger and on a bike, I'm like. What if you're the biggest cyclist in the history of cycling? Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. what if your yeah. watt to ratio power is terrible there's, and it has nothing to do with the fact that I can generate 7,000 watts, but I just do it. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, a good example of this is uh, Filippo Ghana. He's a um, world time trial champion. And like, he's playing with funny numbers. Like, when you look at his numbers versus everybody else, it's like, it doesn't work. It doesn't compute. Like he's sitting around at like 550 Watts in a time trial. And when you think about that for an athlete like me, like I, right now I have like around a 315 Watt threshold. I'm five. That's like, that's above VO two. That's like anaerobic for me, like sprinting. And that's what this guy holds for like a time trial. It's around, you know, 30 minutes long. He's okay. able to do that which is just insane. But the thing that we don't realize is that especially those that are not as like well-versed in, in human physiology and how the body works, 
is that we assume that like calories burned is like a lot, has a lot to do with effort, but it has everything to do with work. It doesn't actually have a whole lot to do with effort. Like swimming is a great example of that. I try to swim in the morning and I just basically try to not drown for an hour. You get a great workout, which is amazing. Yeah. I'm exhausted from it. And then I look at the calories and I'm like, sweet, I burned like a hundred calories. Like, because all I did was just like flail around and not do a whole lot. So it really has to do with work. So getting back to this, you don't eat enough. The reason you don't eat enough is because you're burning too much when you're on that bike for how much you eat. All of us face this. And what we think is we just think that we get tired or we think that maybe like we aren't hydrated enough with and hydration super important too but we aren't eating enough. Like I I used to probably eat somewhere around like 30 to 40 grams of carbs an hour. And now I push 120 grams an hour hour of carbs when I'm on the bike. If you start to break that down in terms of calories, you're looking at all the way up like almost 500 calories an hour of what I'm taking in. Any more than that, and my gut tends to fall apart. And I had to work my way up to that. But the difference in your ability to produce work on the bike or in any activity And then the difference in your ability to recover from that day after day when you're properly fueling during the workout is huge. Like we really need to do away with this whole, like the training puts me into a hole and then I'll dig out of it afterward with nutrition because that just like puts so much pressure on us. And then we have to make healthy choices with nutrition. It's really hard to do. If instead we just fueled ourselves during our workouts, we'd do more work, we'd recover faster, we'd come back quicker, make adaptations quicker. Wait, are you wait, saying- are you, Wait, wait, yeah, wait, wait. I was going to say, wait, are you like, saying we need more when I go snacks? for a two and a half hour mountain bike ride straight uphill that I should eat something? <laughs> exactly. And it seems silly. Because I literally never do. <laughs> we never do it, right? It's it's <laughs> what we do. And, and if you ride with pro athletes, like I bet Kate Courtney is this way, if you've ridden with her- but any other, like ride with pro athletes and you'll be shocked at how good they are at eating. They're always eating. And I think something you bring up, we're always saying, hey, be consistent before you're heroic. And one of the, I think the things that you're talking about all the time is people don't appreciate that if you ride yourself into the hole calorically, your recovery is less. You actually do less work during the week. Mm -hmm. Your wattage is going to suffer later in the week, even the other sort of ancillary training you're going to do. One of our uh, physio friends describes this as session cost. He's like, how do we reduce the session cost? And so one of the ways that I've really organized my head around all of the potential tools, strategies, behaviors, tactics, is I'm trying to reduce the total session cost. I think it was Floyd Landis who was like, whoever does the most work wins. And if you overtrain, well, you didn't do enough work to be able to work that hard in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it really comes down to, well, and what I hear you saying is one of the big mistakes that people are doing is they're getting in these intense pieces because they feel like, hey, I really got to make sure that I'm keeping my own intensity. And we're not fueling during the intense effort, like uh, sufficiently. Subsequently, we see a degradation of output during the later in the week. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely. And it's even with the lower intensity stuff, it can be kind of sneaky. Like- you don't need to fuel a coffee shop ride with, you know, 120 grams an hour or anything else. No. You totally can if you want to. But the really Welcome to puffybike.com. Yeah, I, I would just like <laughs> to clarify that we are doing coffee shop rides. <laughs> yes. Even if they're straight uphill. So. I don't think so. <laughs> There's still coffee shop rides. Or at least a taco ride, right? Um <laughs> and but when you do this, like this low intensity work, let's say that you're riding like around VT1 to VT2, your ventilatory thresholds, you know, you're somewhere in between there. So you're aerobic, but you're not, you're definitely not anaerobic. It's not like you're just light pressure on the pedals, but you're just constantly on the gas, but not too hard. That's really productive aerobic work. And it's really tempting for athletes to say on those days, that's when I'm going to not eat. 
And then what I'll do is I'll shift my body composition because of that. And then when I shift my body composition, power to weight ratio goes up. I, I get faster and it's super Genius. tempting and addicting to do that, but you're burning a huge amount of calories when you're doing even that aerobic work, you're burning a lot, probably more than you're taking in. So it's tricky to be able to make improvements time after time after time from session to session. Like you said, looking at it from the session cost perspective, you have to reduce that in order to get additional value after every session or else you get that point of diminishing returns, your fitness plateaus, training is really hard. You can't hit your numbers. You're demotivated. That's all the stuff that comes when we don't eat enough. So, Let me ask you, you know, so, yeah. so technical question here, and I don't know if this is going to exceed the, mm. the scope of this, or we're going to lose people in the weeds here, but Gumi bears during rides, good or bad? Asking <laughs> oh, for a friend. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm glad that we're going deep on this sort of stuff. As long as they, don't, um, as long yeah. as they fit your macros. That's the story. As long as they fit your macros. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what, but honestly, like when you think about it, like what are you burning when you're on the bike? Like you're burning carbohydrate. Like you've got glycogen loaded up in your muscles. It's going to be coming from your liver when you're going to be taking stuff in, but you are burning carbohydrate primarily. And when you go harder, it doesn't turn off fat. You also, you still burn fat. You just burn more sugar. Just so everyone's listening, Jonathan is not just saying, go get a gummy bear sponsorship. I, I, I was going to say, I was like, you're nutrition. just trying to get a, you're trying I'm, to get a Haribo sponsorship really, right now. One of my life goals he is, actually to, be is trying to. I, to get, I just to be wanna, sponsored by a company that can sell like $1 bag of gummy bears. I just want to explain to Kelly, explain to you that like every time we go on, whether we're skiing or biking or whatever, Kelly just has gummy bears in his pocket and like not in a baggie or anything. They're mm. just like in his pocket. Do they get sticky? Just loose that, in there. That would be no. And does, you know, so sometimes he'll hand you one like a, a got like a Haribo, one of those ones that's shaped like cherries and it has like a little fuzz on it from like the inside of his jacket. And look, it's like it's I, fine. You don't fine. know this at 239 pounds, but I'm a climbing athlete. I'm a climber, and uh, even though I'm the biggest climber in the world, and that bag, I have to carry that bag. If yeah. I can shave, it's slowing you down. Shave a, a you know a Ziploc bag of weight in my pocket, I'm faster. I, I will say this: I don't know that this really impacts the my getting an F in eating during riding my bike. But I seriously will never forget this. I don't remember anything else about the book, but this one line in Tyler Hamilton's book about how they're like, oh, no, no, no. Like all the performance enhancing drugs you can do and all the crazy shit you can yeah, do. Hematocrit up two points no, or two matter. pounds lighter. He's like, he's like, two pounds lighter is always like, will help you be faster times yeah. 9,000. And I'm, I have a feeling I'm not the only person that's sort of like, okay, well, skinnier is better. And yes. I, I, by the way, I'm also 100% not, I have like a CrossFit body, not a biker body, yeah. but I have a feeling that that sort of mentality has like super oh. permeated cycling, right? It has to be deep. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, disordered eating is, it's rampant in all aspects of life, but absolutely like, you know, like jockeys, like rewind a handful of years, maybe even just a few years and disordered eating in athletics, like people are like, yeah, those jockeys, I've heard that they have disordered eating. And it was like <laughs> jockeys and it was like, oh yeah, yeah. And dancers too. And it was like, just kept to that. And it's like, hold on, like, how is it okay to reinforce these terrible habits and, and patterns of nourishment for everybody, except for like a few groups and cycling, because you're the absolute, you cannot cheat it. The governing metric, even if you are cheating with drugs, the governing metric, you cannot beat power to weight. That's it. That's what defines how you go up a hill. So there's shout a out to two women. We we have talked a lot of on this podcast with people about relative energy deficiency syndrome and mm -hmm. some of these things. Kate Courtney just had a great post a couple of days ago. So the reason I ride a bike is not to be skinny; it's to have a badass body and to be powerful. I really just and she's talking about that on yes. Wednesday. And then also Evie Richards, 
um, current world champion. Mm -hmm. She has been very transparent in her early eating disorders and talking about how now her relationship with food and coaches, she doesn't weigh herself. She's as powerful as she's ever been. Like she's as healthy as she's ever been. So cycling is certainly no darling to this mm -hmm. or standalone princess. This is a common part of this whole oh, thing. Yeah. And I really do appreciate that you're saying, hey, you probably could stand to eat more, not for your health, but from your performance, yeah, from which performance is a simple standpoint. thing to yeah. really point at that if you do the right things, if you sleep more, if you warm up, you cool down, you have your open your hip, you actually can generate more watts. Yeah, there's I can think of so many athletes that I've spoken to that once they start eating more on the bike, and then once they start eating more off the bike in most cases too, but it's eating the right, it's eating the stuff that's that makes you feel good. It's eating the stuff that gives you the energy that you need. It's all it's a ton of colors of the rainbow that you're eating. It's it's a wide micronutrient profile. And it's just good, healthy stuff. And when I say healthy, I mean the stuff that makes you feel good. When athletes start doing that, they may not drop weight, but you know what happens? They all get faster. It's like across the board. When athletes feel better, they get faster. And you just mentioned great examples of it. Like Evie Richards, she's not, and her and Luana LeCompte are built completely different. Completely. And you look at that and they're both incredible athletes and they're both at the That's top right. of their game. And it's and like anyone who's looking at Luan LeCompte, look at her mom. She looks exactly like her mom, who's built exactly the same way. So it's yeah. not, we don't know anything about, I don't know anything about it either, but I'm just saying that like, this is a woman who is, you're right, has found what's working for her. Yes. And has exact same genotype, phenotype as her mother. I bet that genotype. even though they do, they may appear different, I bet they have something in common in the sense that they nourish themselves. Yeah. And that's like a, a really basic human need. But we completely cast that aside when we think of, well, I need to go fast up a hill on a bicycle or insert whatever else the goal is. And it's controversial and it's hard to talk about too. Cause like those are like, we have really deeply personal relationship relationships with food and they're complex and it's really difficult. And I've struggled with disordered eating throughout my path with cycling too. And absolutely bought into the whole eating is cheating thing in the beginning of cycling. And when I started in, you know, sleep for dinner. Exactly. Right. And it's funny because if you look at a lot of the old school logic, which is still very prevalent inside the upper tiers of cycling, that's still reinforced by a lot of people, but it's not reinforced by like absolute basic science, like yeah. very basic science. <laughs> and if, right. you, if you're listening you know? to this right. um, and you're not in this <laughs> performance world or Jonathan's world, a great resource is looking at Alan Lim's book around, mm -hmm. you know, his feed zone portables. If you're looking to eat whole foods again, Stacy Sims has done a ton of work around, look, we can actually fuel, as you're describing, you don't have to eat processed crap on the bike. You can eat yep. a great sandwich and you can yeah. <laughs> and eat a whole food while you're actually having an adventure and feel better and feel yourself. So just keep in mind, those are great resources. Look at Alan Lim, L-I-M. And he is the originator of Scratch Labs. And you don't even have to go into his processed foods. He has cookbooks out there. Mm -hmm. when I, my last time paddling across the Molokai, I had his potato bread, you know, peanut butter and honey sandwiches, mm -hmm. which were crustless. You just make a little crustable. And that, man, that Ooh. thing works really well when you're, when you're redlining. Yeah. And it's funny because you like, so I am now to the point where I'm super distilled with nutrition when I'm on the bike and I'm just like, I just want sugar and salt and that's it. Right. So I'm just <laughs> like, I have my drink mix and I have my gels and it was not always that way. And those foods are also like, they were complicated for me emotionally, like, because taking that in, I felt like this is not healthy for me and I shouldn't take this food in. This should only be on the bike. And, and it was, I had these weird stigmas that I had built up around the whole thing. And 
maybe instead of if you are in a point where you're struggling with trying to figure out how to eat when you're on the bike, yes, your stomach will probably process something more simple with relative with greater ease. However, just eat what makes you feel good. Like, and just nourish yourself, make the goal to nourish yourself, worry about what it is and everything else later on. I love that. And then quit being so simple and reasonable. (laughs) It's just the basics. Right. And, but I mean, wrapping it all back to what we're talking about, people don't do enough structure and they kind of fool themselves into thinking they're doing structure when Mm. they aren't. And that's really dangerous. And then they don't eat enough. Like those two things are just so, so important for athletes. Go ahead, Jay. Oh, I was going to say, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, I know you're having a baby in August, so that's probably at the top of your list. But what else? What are you excited I w- about? I want you to follow up with us and let us know what your watch drops to a week <laughs> after your newborn. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I know I, your, your partner will still have insane wattage because that's the way it goes. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I want to yep. know what the, I want to see the data around uh, newborn and athletic performance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'd be fascinating. I mean, I know last time I had these absolutely like just, I was so naive. I was like, well, you know, if my workouts, something like, you know, two hours that day, I can just split it up into three chunks. And then I can just do it in little pieces and then I'll be able to get it done. And that's how I'm going to train and still stay fit while having a child. That, that Spin happen. and hold the baby. It'll yeah. totally work. <laughs> It'll totally work. Yeah. <laughs> Ride the rollers of the baby. It'll be fine. Um, so what could go wrong. Uh, yeah. But man, it's, I'm so looking forward to being a parent. I'm also really looking forward to like, I've always loved running, but I never entertained it because it was like dry land training for skiing, or it was the, you know, the yeah. PE test that we did every year. And that was it. And then with cycling, when I picked up cycling, it was like, oh, no, no, you do not run if you are a cyclist. And there's this like weird stigma that exists that like, if you're a cyclist, you have to hate running. And like, oh, I know that I'm going to cause a worldwide division right now, but cyclists should love running. I love running. It's just awesome. And I'm really enjoying that. I'm not enjoying going through all the process of finding all the new aches and pains that come from it. But thanks to, thanks to all you at the ready state, I'm working my way through it. But I'm looking forward above all to getting, to being able to go to the pool and swim and not be mostly miserable because that's not have to side stroke. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Not have to side stroke, not be choking, not be thinking about the fact that like, I don't have to drink any water for the rest of the day because I just drank the pool. And like, (laughs) it's just, it, that's honestly for me, athletically speaking, that's what I'm most looking forward to is, is swimming. We have uh, one of our awesome product managers here and ex pro road cyclist, one of the, she's a super domestique for years over in Europe, Amber Pierce. And she's a swimmer. She swam for Stanford. She incredible athlete. She's a really good swimmer and she's been giving me like some tips and helping me out. But boy, I am like, I think I'm pretty good at proprioception and like technical awareness with skiing and motocross. Nope. I am terrible at swimming. So, well, as one of our good friends said, go after the beginner gains, beginner gains. People are like, Oh, beginner gains. I'm like, you go from like zero to 60. Going from 92 to 93 will take a decade, but uh, zero to 60, and you can do that in like three weeks and enjoy the beginner gains. It is so yes. fun to pick up a new sport. It is. We really encourage I have that. a lot of respect too. I mean, both our daughters play water polo. And I mean, it's like watching our kids do a sport that Kelly and I like physically couldn't even do the base skill of, which is egg beater and oh, treading I water. Drown. I and drown. You know, our kid just sits there and treads water. Her heart rate's like 85 for two hours. I'm like, insane. Wow. Yeah, During timeouts, insane. we just, yeah. our daughter's a goalie and during timeouts, she doesn't even come to the side. She just kind of floats there. 
That is, that is yeah. so impressive. She has to swim less if she doesn't come all the way over. It's like wall. a different human creature to me. Like she's evolved beyond what I am. You know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> I just don't exist well in water, but I'm going to get there eventually. What you said is interesting about the beginner gains thing though, because it's such like a technique sport. And at first I was like swimming, like if I was doing like four by 100, man, it'd be like two minutes and 50 seconds, maybe if I was lucky. And that would be like my time. Now I'm under two minutes. And, but the funny thing is, is I feel absolutely terrible still like going through the whole process. If I'm going for like time on four, you've gone like 200% faster and, uh, you're, you're just like, I'm still terrible. It's good. I, yeah. you know, I, I yeah. think what I really appreciate about all the things I've heard when you're talking is that you look at your development as an athletic moving person as a skill, yeah, not a mystery, but a skill based process. And once you sort of have that algorithm, you can just keep reapplying it to other things like how do I manage two kids? Skill. Skill. <laughs> how do I Just not it, sleep? If it, if it makes you feel better, I've done a few little swimming sessions with our kids who of course are amazing swimmers. And for me, swimming at 25 is like so taxing. Like yeah. I swim once across the pool. I'm like, I am so taxed. This is so taxing. It's like the hardest thing I've ever done. And they just look at me and they're like, what? what? For them, it's just effortless. But I'm excited to hear about your journey because sometimes I think I want to actually like at least be competent enough to just do a swimming workout. Like I don't ever need to be amazing and I'm not going to race or whatever. Yeah. But right now I can't oh, Juliet, really even do a swimming Juliet's workout. Juliet's selling herself out. Come on, J-Star. Don't sandbag us. <laughs> what I'll tell you though is our pool at our home is 11 feet deep and I finally figured out my swim stroke where I carry a weight on the bottom of the pool which just is a metaphor for how I swim anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds super familiar. Come up, gasp. Strangely, Go yeah. to the bottom, sink, come up, gasp. Yeah, I'm like yeah. swimming. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Jonathan, great. you are prolific. Tell everyone where we can find you and where we can find you mm -hmm. interviewing some of the best athletes in the world about all the things we're talking about. Yeah, and, and how do people sign up for Trainer Road? And further yeah. projects out there. So tell us about all of that. Yeah, Lee Jonathan underscore. You'll be able to see my name and how it's spelt here, but Lee Jonathan underscore is where to find me on social channels. And then you can go to trainerroad.com and sign up. You can give it a shot. We have a 30-day money-back guarantee too. So just give it a shot and try it especially if you have like spring races coming up, summer races, whenever you're listening to this, fall, winter, whatever it might be, go and sign up, give it a shot. And if it doesn't work and make you faster, then we're happy to give you your money back, but it'll make you faster. So that's where <laughs> we do that. And if you want to listen to the Train Road podcast, it's called the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast. We also have one called the Science of Getting Faster podcast that is going to be having more episodes where we interview researchers about papers that they have published. But if you want to listen to that, Ask a Cycling Coach podcast on any platform you have and Science of Getting Faster podcast. Well, thank awesome. you so thank much. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll meet at Shields there in Reno. <laughs> and I can't <laughs> wait to hold movie. your baby. I can't <laughs> wait to meet that new baby. I know we're, we're a ways out, so hopefully we can see you before then. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's great to see you again. Likewise. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it.